The Way Out Podcast, episode 125. Degenerate. I've been called that before. Yeah. 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 In fact, I've been called that more than once before in my active alcoholism and addiction. You're going to have some ups and you're going to have some downs, no doubt. But by and large, the ups won't be as extreme and the lows certainly won't be as low. And you will experience many more pockets of peace as you continue into your recovery, as you continue to actively work a program of recovery, it will inject much more peace into your days. And the days will be less and less marked by extremes. Dude, you just gave me flashbacks, man, of of uh just the early recovery but even um like my life pre uh discovering recovery welcome thank you for joining us on this week's installment of the way out sharing stories from people just like you who have recovered from alcoholism and other addictions the way out does not speak on behalf of nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization our purpose is to share with you one episode at a time, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. The Way Out Podcast is sponsored by Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous, online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check out the official website of The Way Out Podcast at www.wayoutcast.com. There you will find links to our latest episodes on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Radio FM. You can also follow The Way Out Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Help us get the message out that lifelong recovery from alcoholism and addiction is possible by giving us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. Have a question or comment about an upcoming or previous show? Call us right now. Area code 218-382-1960. Call us anytime, day or night, and leave us a message on whatever is on your mind. Maybe it's a previous episode topic or something that you're struggling with in your own recovery. Call us at 218-382-1960 and leave the Way Out podcast hosts a message and we could feature it on our next episode. That's 218-382-1960. Help us recover out loud. Last but certainly not least, make sure to check out altrecoveryrings.com for stunning rings made from your very own recovery coin. That's allrecoveryrings.com. The Way Out Podcast is on right now. I'm Charlie, and along with Jason, we're talking relapse and recovery. Relapse often can be a loaded term, bandied about in discussion on recovery, spurring heated debates on whether relapse is a part of recovery or if it is the antithesis of what we're trying to achieve in recovery. Make no mistake, relapse can be and is a part of many of our journeys to long-term 
and meaningful recovery, and assigning shame or judgment on those who experience relapse has no place in recovery. That said, relapse is not a part of recovery itself. No, relapse is fundamentally the absence of recovery and is antithetical to everything we're seeking in recovery. We take a closer look at the stages of relapse, what behaviors mark each stage, and what we can do to thwart the onset of relapse thinking and behavior. Whether you're new in recovery or been around a few 24 hours, you'll get a mega dose of relapse-defying insight and practical tools you can apply to your recovery. Plus, we hear what the sober and serious community has to say on the topic and take calls from the Way Out podcast listeners. Listen up. Jason, welcome to episode 125 of the Way Out podcast. We're talking relapse and (laughs) recovery. Yeah. Round round three. Yeah. It's a big, it's a big, big topic to cover. And what we're going to do is we're going to break down a couple of different facets of relapse First and foremost, we're going to go through some stages, right? What are the stages of relapse? How can we, in recovery, recognize if we are engaging any sort of relapse-type behavior? And what can we do about it, right? It's one thing to identify if we might be falling into some uh, behaviors that could lead to relapse, but it's more important to identify what we can do in order to reverse that. Absolutely. And then we're going to take some comments from the sober and serious community, and we're going to take some phone calls. In the end, it's going to be a tremendous show. Yeah, it was the last two times we did it, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get a definition out of the way, shall we? Yes, sir. So relapse is... Someone suffering a deterioration after a period of improvement. Synonyms would be um, to get worse again, worsen, deteriorate, degenerate. I've been called that before. Yeah. 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 In fact, I've been called that more than once before in my active alcoholism and addiction. Turn for the worse. Sicken, weaken, fall, sink, all synonyms of relapse. Yes, sir. Let's get some anonyms out of the way, huh? Yeah. So I love these. These are really great. Achievement, success, healing, progress, strengthening, improvement, recovery, rally, turn for the better, develop, fight, grow, heal, help. Increase, reach, rise, strengthen, win, get better. All of those are things that happen to us or can be great ways to describe recovery. Absolutely. Yeah. Which makes sense that that would be the opposite, right? I mean, absolutely. If we're not killing ourselves, then we're, we're, uh, lifting ourselves up we're empowering ourselves and we're filling ourselves with good we're achieving things in recovery we're succeeding if we're wor- working our programs of recovery 
actively. We are definitely healing, and we talk about a lot on this podcast in terms of uh, you know the healing that goes on, especially engaging in therapy in conjunction with working an active program of recovery. Yeah. Yeah, man. I my favorite is rise. Rise like a phoenix from the ashes. I love that. All right, yeah. three stages of relapse. So let's uh, let's talk about the first stage. The first stage is emotional relapse. That's the very mm-hmm. first stage of any relapse. During emotional relapse, individuals are not thinking about using. They remember their last relapse and they don't want to repeat it. But their emotions and behaviors are setting them up for relapse down the road. Because we're not consciously thinking about using during this stage, denial, which isn't just a river in Egypt, Jason. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Is a big part of emotional relapse. So let's talk about some signs of emotional relapse. Number one, bottling up emotions. Number two, isolating. I'm big on that. We know that. Number three, not going to meetings. Number four, going to meetings but not sharing. Number five, focusing on others. And number six, poor eating and sleeping habits. Really the common denominator of emotional relapse, the first stage, is poor self-care, which is broadly defined to include emotional, psychological, in physical care. So when we are in a state of, um, uh, when we are lapsing on things from an, uh, from an emotional standpoint, when we're lapsing on um, our sleep, our diet, are we getting enough food? Are we getting enough rest? Are we um, taking time out for ourselves, right? All yeah. of that is part of that emotional care piece, right? Uh, yeah. And oh. can lead halt exactly. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Yep. And that's nice the eighty percent of it, right? I was just lecturing a friend of mine today about that because she's not eating well, and you know she's trying to take a diet, and she she don't need no diet, and you know I'm like, man. It's a simple little checklist, you know, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. If you're any of those things, do something about it, you know, and yeah, of course, a lot of excuses, you know, but we all, we all get busy and stuff, but I mean, we got to start making ourselves a priority for a change, you know, it's difference between us and recovery and us when we weren't, we weren't taking care of ourselves and now we're trying to learn how we need to take advice and stuff from people who care and they can teach us how to take care of ourselves because they learned how, you know? It's really interesting because in active addiction and alcoholism, my self-care was really at the bottom of the list in terms of, although I acted very selfishly, I didn't take care of myself. And what a, there's a lot of irony that existed in my active alcoholism and addiction, and that certainly was one of them. Though I engaged in a whole lot of selfish and self-serving <laughs> behavior, I didn't take good care of myself. I actually wanted other people to take care of me, right? In fact, I kind of liked that, um, the ability for others 
if I didn't take care of myself, then I got some some pity, right? Right. You know, and I didn't view it as pity at the time, but that's what it was, and that's what I was fishing for, right? Oh, yeah. they're going to, they're you know, they're gonna want to, they're gonna look upon me and want to, uh, <laughs> you know, care for me and coddle me and those kinds of things. And it was a way of almost getting attention. Can you relate? Right. Absolutely, man. You know, it was, it was always nice when somebody would join in my pity pot with me, you know, and feel bad for yep. me. Oh, poor, poor Jason um, is down and out again. And, you know, yeah. right. And that was a form of attention. Absolutely was, you know, if people would get like, try to speak some life into me. Right. And tell me that I was getting out of control. I would uh, ultimately start filling their ear with all the sad things that happened to me and, and my victim stories and why, you know, you would use two or you would drink two if you were me. Right. You know, so, and it works. In recovery, Jason, have you noticed times in your own recovery where your self-care has slipped? And oh. if it has, what what have you done or what was the what was the trigger for awareness for you to get that back in check to uh, uh, to get your self-care back in check? You know, it's funny you ask this question because just this week, I, I was feeling under the weather, um, just really like zero energy and like a body aches and like my body felt like it was really heavy and I so a lot of it sounds like you were fatigued yeah and so I'm like I woke up late for work on Wednesday and then I end up just saying screw it and staying home and then the next day I was up for work warming up my car had my coffee was already brewed and I was sitting in my car for like 20 minutes arguing with myself about whether or not I was going to go to work. And I said, nah, I'm going to stay home. And I slept until like one thirty in the afternoon. Now I was convincing myself in my head cause I'm an overthinker. Like maybe this is like all in my head, but it dawned on me yesterday afternoon, which, you know, was that day, but the second day that I hadn't really eaten much since mm -hmm. like the day before. Cause all I'd been doing really is like sleeping and laying around. Right. And Man, I'll tell you what, it was just weird. Like, my room's kind of in a shambles right now still because I haven't gotten to clean it up yet since. Right. right. And I'm like. I think, yeah. by the way, Jason, you've got a poltergeist in your in your room in there. I keep hearing this, like, screech. And I'm pretty sure uh, wherever you are, it's haunted. So just be very, be, be, be very careful about potential haunting happening right this minute now i can't see the uh the ghouls or the spirits because i don't have that kind of ability but i'm telling you uh, you're funny as hell. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm my headphone that'll, yeah that maybe that'll work we're gonna we're gonna get yeah. headphones on jason and now oh. you're not gonna hear that anymore no more poltergeist i love it but yeah, dude, I, I really wasn't taking good care of myself the last few days and I just feel 
or I felt, I should say, this morning especially and last night, like I just felt gross. I wasn't like, yeah, I wasn't doing much of anything except laying around for like three days. So, you know, and even that, it's like, you know, people keep telling me, you know, you need the rest. And yeah, true. And I'm probably making something out of nothing or making it into more than it is uh, when I'm getting down on myself. But, you know, I'm always my own worst critic. So it is what it is. I think self-awareness is the key. And, you know, getting up and doing something to rectify it when you notice it. You know, I mean, we all have a tendency to get stuck in our shit for a couple of days sometimes before we figure it out, you know, and then we can get into some action. So I did that today and it's been a good day. Uh, turned my attitude right around, man. So self care and the, uh, you know, regular sort of like, I always think about, you know, working my, um, recovery every day, right. Getting, getting in touch with the God of my understanding every morning and, and doing my, my recovery literature every morning um, uh, is an important deal because, you know, um, it, it is a daily practice that I need to have, you know, my recovery, my sobriety is based on the maintenance of my spiritual condition, right? Um, uh, the fact that I don't smell terrible is... <laughs> a result of the maintenance of my physical condition, right? So it's uh, kind of analogous. Yeah, but I also think, too, you know, the spiritual condition, because if, if, we, if we slipped off of our spiritual beam, then our attitudes and our, our emotions get out of whack, and then we would, stop, we would start letting ourselves go, right? Like not grooming as much, exhibit A. <laughs> you know, it's funny, too, though, because – the they're all connected if my emotional well-being is suffering a lot then that absolutely affects my physical well-being and my spiritual well-being right and right. vice versa right so if you know my physical well-being is suffering it's going to take a toll on my emotional and my spiritual well-being they're all connected Absolutely. So it's important that I'm mindful to take care of all three of those. But hungry, angry, lonely, tired is the blocking and tackling of my self-care, right? That's yeah. the 90% rule. If I'm keeping those in check, if I'm, you know, eating right and, and, and I'm getting good sleep, and my social uh, piece is intact, right? Then really ultimately I'm not going to be real angry, you know? So it's actually the H, the L, and the T for me that are big. And then the A sort of like sort of takes care of itself. So let's talk about mental relapse. That's really phase two. And this is where triggers become pretty prominent. So we're going to talk about some of the most common triggers in okay. Before we do that, let's talk about what mental relapse really is. In mental relapse, there is a war going on inside your mind. Part of you wants to use, but part of you doesn't. As individuals, as we go deeper into mental relapse, 
our cognitive resistance to relapse diminishes and our need for escape increases. Now, this is that push-pull that we feel as addicts and alcoholics, right? We're feeling that push-pull between that, that, that deep, deep desire to escape, that deep desire to hit the eject button, (laughs) right? And we're feeling our resistance waning and we're trying to just hold on. This is the white knuckling. This is the dry drunk. This is the untreated alcoholism. This is that stage. This is that gross, awful stage of still in sobriety, but I am all sorts of restless, irritable, and discontent. Yeah, man. You know, your attitude is the first thing that starts to suffer when you, uh, or, or just like your coping skills, you know, really kind of go out the window, at least for me, when I am not staying connected with people in recovery and helping others and, and all of those things, working with my sponsor, working with sponsees, I need those things to keep me kind of like um, on a good emotional, even keel. (sighs) Yeah, dude. Like once my emotions, like you said, it starts with emotions, then it gets mental. Once my emotions get out of hand, it's real easy to start with the stinking thinking, you know? I mean, I still have a really sick mind. I still tend to, um, what do you call that word? Like I will liken things or things will remind me of like shooting up or needles all the time, all the time. Relate. Yeah. I relate everything to um, like drugs and drug life still. And it's kind of fucked up and it's sick and it weirds people out, you know, like it makes people uncomfortable that know me that don't think that way. And I have to explain to them that it's just the way my brain kind of works. And it doesn't mean that I'm like, you know, I'm there where I'm thinking about it in like a fond way. Um, You know, I have those conversations often where I have to put people at ease uh, when it comes to that (laughs) because I just have a fucked up like brain, you know, like because of my life, you know. (laughs) So here's some signs of mental relapse, craving for drugs or alcohol, thinking about people, places, and things associated with past use, minimizing. I wonder how. What? I was going to say, I wonder how so-and-so is doing. Right. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Bingo. Starting the, starting the, you know, ruminate I miss about my friends. acquaintances I miss- and missing them. Right. Yeah. And missing that life. Right. Absolutely. And uh, we, we were talking about that on a previous taping where then all of a sudden you're hanging out over at, you know, Tom Dick or Harry's house and people are passing their drink or their drug around and you're sitting there like, no, no, no. And maybe you can do that once. Maybe you can do it a couple times, but how many times are you going to do it? Yeah, absolutely. You hang out in that barbershop long enough. You will get a haircut. No doubt about it. You absolutely will. Yep. Another sign of mental relapse is minimizing consequences of past use or glamorizing past use. Starting to think about the good old days and how epic it all was and how much of a party uh, maniac you were and the life <laughs> of the party, right? You were, you, you know what I mean? 
um, or that you were a big shot because you know you um, you know sold drugs, you sold drugs or whatever it was, right? Anything, um, dude. And I I think that people I even even when you're in a good place spiritually and work in a strong program, I think it's really easy say when I'm getting to know a new sponsee. You know, it's not going to be all one-sided with them sharing their life story with me and me not sharing some stuff with them so that, you know, we're on an even playing field. I'm going to share and I have to be real careful because I don't even mean to make it sound glamorous, you know, Mm. Um, but I think that it can be perceived that way, especially by someone who is fresh in this thing and they haven't, you know acquired the new thoughts, beliefs, and attitudes yet. Right. Absolutely. So I got to be real fucking careful to not make it sound so badass. Like I got to make sure that there's always a touch of like how fucked up it was or whatever bad it got. In, in a recognition <laughs> of a, how sick we were. Yeah. How unhealthy it was. Yep. And yep. so let's talk about 10 most common triggers of substance abuse relapse. Number one, and number one with a bullet, and this is really early in recovery, is withdrawal symptoms. Anxiety, anxiety, nausea, physical weakness. That's really early on as we're either detoxing or right. withdrawing, right? That those physical cravings are absolutely triggers to want to use again. Right. So I think that's Shit. it's, it's almost like itself. you feel like you, ha- you feel like you have to, you know, like yeah, it's a need. I it's have a, to. It's a need. Yeah. 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 And then there's post acute withdrawal symptoms, pause, mm-hmm. which mirrors withdrawal, but you get the added benefit of mood swings and bad sleep. So yeah. Yeah, you get anxiety, irritability, mood swings, poor sleep. And Jason, you know very, very well that with post-acute withdrawal syndrome, that can last well into recovery. Yeah, depending on the drug you do, um, like I think the longest is for meth users that can be 18 to 24 months um, before your body and your brain get back to homeostasis, you know, like cocaine and heroin, it's uh, 12 to 18 months, I believe, and some other pharmaceuticals as well. And so it it kind of depends on on whatever your drug of choice was. Or it takes whatever, a while but, for your brain man. to get back to homeostasis. Your totally, brain's been hijacked totally. by this substance, by mm-hmm. this external substance, whether that be alcohol, whether that be another drug. It's been hijacked. And it takes your brain quite some time to get back to homeostasis without that drug. And that means that you're going to experience highs and lows and it's going to be a roller coaster, but they will even out and sort of, you know, these very high highs and very low lows, high, low, high, low, high, low, will start evening out over time. It'll start being more like rolling hills. Right. And you're going to have some ups and you're going to have some downs, no doubt. But by and large, the ups won't be as extreme and the lows certainly won't be as low. 
and you will experience many more pockets of peace as you continue into your recovery, as you continue to actively work a program of recovery, it will inject much more peace into your days and they days will be less and less marked by extremes. Dude, you just gave me flashbacks, man, of, of, uh, just the early recovery, but even, um, like my life pre, uh, discovering recovery, like my life was, you know, cause relapse may not be part of my, my actual recovery story, but relapse, dude, I mean, that's the story of my life. Like my right. entire life was, Oh, that got out of hand. I won't do that anymore. I'll just switch over here to this thing. Um, it, nothing ever lasted. Uh, I could never trust myself on my own uh, strength and will to be able to continue only using a certain substance or whatever, or quitting altogether anything. And I, you know, I can remember just when I first started learning uh, in therapy and in recovery about polarization. Right. You know, then in that black or white thinking, you know, you always, you never, then things like that are just so uh, toxic. Extremes and life isn't really lived in extremes, right? No, We're yeah. And it, for balance here. We're searching for, again, this, this homeostasis. <laughs> yeah. And I looked at that stuff or I looked at a lot of things in those ways. And I mean, that's, that's toxic for not only your relationships, your, your work, uh, your home life, but, but it's most importantly, I think to mention it's, it's toxic within yourself to think that way because then you're never able to fully appreciate things for what they are. You know what I mean? When you're, because you're constantly discounting everything. You're shutting no, no. it down. You're, you're, you're picking it apart instead of, you know, looking at one little thing as a little thing. You're making it into like a, this big mountain of always or never. Yeah, that's toxic thinking, man. Bad, bad. It is exhausting to live that way. Yeah, that's right. 36 years old before I stopped trying to think that <laughs> way. And I, I mean, both, you and I both, 36 it, is the magic number. Oh, right on. And I still, I still suffer through some of that, you know, I mean, it's, it's a process, man. It's definitely a process. So number three is poor self-care. I think we covered that pretty well. Yeah. Four is people. Old Mm. using friends. We talked a lot of, a little bit about this idea that, you know, uh, engaging uh, back with the old using and drinking friends is, a huge trigger, right? Yeah. I think that was probably my number one barrier to getting well. Uh, first time I went to treatment was in 2008. I can remember uh, I really was serious. I wanted to get better. And I learned everything I could when I was inpatient. And when I got out, I went back to my apartment. I started looking for work. I had a uh, cut off contact for a while with everyone. But I can remember because I didn't get uh, involved in the rooms. I didn't start building a sober network. I didn't connect with people. I, so I was alone. 
So you got lonely place. and you reached and I, out. And I would you. look at the notebook. You remember back when you'd have everybody's phone numbers written down in a notebook? I do. I do. <laughs> and I'd be flipping the pages, looking at her. And yeah, it was totally that. Like, I wonder what Dylan's up to. I wonder what this person's up to. And, you know, it wasn't long before it was that hanging out is how it started. And I'm like, I can control myself. Well, self-control in when you're putting yourself in those environments is pointless to even try. Um, but see, we're too proud, right? We have this pride and we can't admit that we're weak. It's better to just be safe than sorry, you know? And like, it's not worth it to put yourself in those situations. But honestly, it's so hard to overcome that feeling of, I don't want to turn my back on people. I'm not, you know, going to be the hypocrite and all this and that, you know, it's, it's it all lies. It's really a point where you realize that if I don't, then I, I am really doomed right and that's how i it it was it was this imperative you know that i was faced with where you know i was 100 percent defeated and right and i think i think it's important to say too that you know you can you can tell yourself that shit and then you're convinced right because you're telling yourself but it's really not true it's all bullshit we we sit here and we think we know something that we don't know shit about you know until you work the steps and you try to really let somebody else guide you and you relinquish your control it's back to that first step we need to surrender to this and let others guide us and if we do then we're gonna know different but right what do you now think number five is what do you think we talked about uh, withdrawal, post-acute withdrawal, self-care, people, places. That is correct. So Man. then the next one is things. That's right. Oh, my yep. God. I might know this because we did this twice. <laughs> Potentially. This <laughs> might be. Maybe. Just Sheesh. maybe. Okay? So people, places, and things, right? Uh, and that all makes sense. Those are tangible reminders of a lifestyle mm-hmm. that is – already seductive enough yeah um it's 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 impossible for a guy like me Mm. to be faced with that especially in early recovery right but at any time for real but to be faced with that for any length of time and think that i have the ability to uh resist because my resistance will continue to wane it just will it will erode to the point where I will rationalize why it's okay for me to use. Yeah, man. I mean, I worked in restaurants. I I used to run Perkins for many years. You know, when I first went to treatment and stuff, that was where I was at. And what did I do when I got out of there? Also probably wasn't good for me. I got a job in another kitchen. Kitchen environments are riddled with people who drink, you know, um, who use drugs. I've and I've got so many friends who are like bartenders and shit or servers at bars and it's just part of the culture that you know they'll free round of shots before you know that before the rush or when the rush is done like hey add, add a girl add a boy yep. and it's dude it's it's like you think that just because you you worked hard at this recovery thing that you can keep working in those environments right like and that's just one example of places, but I mean, that's so dangerous and people, you know, it's hard. It's like almost as scary, I think, to uproot what they do for a living as it is to uproot, you know, taking, 
taking their using or drinking out of it. You can feel a bit lost because it really kind of takes some of your identity away, right? Right. What we do for a living is a lot is a lot about you know our own personal identities, and when that's taken away too, it can really leave you pretty lost and feeling pretty rudderless. The good news is is that recovery for me and for so many others really gave me a sense of purpose, a higher purpose that I hadn't had regardless of my occupation, regardless of anything else. So uh, the, 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 one of the blessings of, uh, you know, uh, working the 12 steps was this, uh, uh, this really concrete sense of purpose that came from the God of my understanding. Right. Um, and that really, I love it. really gave me a sense of purpose that I had never had um, before. I love it. I love it, dude. That, that that was poetic. Just that purpose. Seriously, to things like finding purpose, um, feeling valued, respected, understood. Wow, you know those those are things that until you experience them, you never realize you were missing them. That's right. And, or you, or and, you and had you a twisted to, idea of what, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, oh, I was going to say you have a twisted idea about what those things are. So you never really know um, that you're missing out and that you're not, you don't have that in your life. You know, it's sort of like flying first class. Once you fly first class, it's hard to fly coach again. I've never, I haven't either, but I, I, I can only imagine. <laughs> that sounded right? good, though. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. you know, driving in a luxury car and then driving, you know, your, 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 your jalopy, right? Um, I have a jalopy. Right. Yeah. So once you experience <laughs> this, you know, next level of whatever it is, yeah, going back to, you know, uh, a previous level of existence, <laughs> tough, right? It would be um, weird to have like a Tesla or something, right? Like right, tomorrow morning, right, like right. get up and have a Tesla and I can, it can switch lanes by itself on the freeway. <laughs> dude. I'm like, what? I don't even no. have to touch the steering wheel. Like, Next level. Crazy. Next <laughs> level. Dude, I want that. And number Someday. seven <laughs> is uncomfortable emotions. And we talked a little bit about that, that hungry, angry, lonely, tired. But also for me, you know, these are uncomfortable emotions that can come up that seem and threaten to be overwhelming are a, an enormous trigger mm. for me and I know for so many others. So for you in, in the Way Out podcast listening audience, right, these, these emotions that bubble up and yeah. rear their heads and threaten to overwhelm us and our brains tell us that we can't handle these emotions, that we can't deal with these emotions. It really reminds me of a a wonderful, very poignant quote by um, Lawrence Block, who wrote a book called Out on the Cutting Edge. Now, the book is fiction, but Lawrence Block is a recovering alcoholic. And so the character in this book is also a recovering alcoholic. And the quote reads, I wanted a drink. There were a hundred reasons why a man will want a drink. But I wanted one now 
for the most elementary reason of all. I didn't want to feel what I was feeling. And a voice within was telling me that I needed a drink, that I couldn't bear it without it. But that voice is a liar. You can always bear the pain. It'll hurt. It'll burn like acid in an open wound. But you can stand it. And as long as you can make yourself go on choosing the pain over the relief, you can keep going. Ride that wave, baby. That is, oh, in my mind, so fundamental to recovery. Mm-hmm. That, in my mind, is so core to what it means to be an addict and an alcoholic. Yep. That, in the end, it's that these emotions, how I feel right now is so overwhelming, I have to hit the eject button. I have to bail. I need relief. And I don't care if it's only for an hour. I don't care if it's only for a little bit. I need to get out of me and I need to do it now. (laughs) Right now. Yeah. Right? That's why perseverance, right? That's so key um, to, to just know and understand that you need to embrace the struggle. You know, you, you have to embrace the suck and it's going to suck sometimes. Um, we just, we have those moments. I mean, you're talking about uncomfortable feelings that could be, that could be just shame and guilt bubbling up here and there. Cause that's nothing's a repeat or nothing is a singular events in recovery. So I can it's accept, continuous, my, right? Yeah. Yeah. I can accept myself and I can, I can let things go and I can forgive people and those feelings may come back and, and I can, I ask, and I can take it back. I can right. pick those, I oh, can dude. pick those resentments back up. I can <clears throat> pick those character defects yep. back up. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, I look at that kind of stuff and just know that it could be that, you know, just knowing that's going to come up or it could be a death of a loved one, a breakup, you know, uh, anything, a loss of a job, a, right. you know, right. Even even good stress, even even like positive change is still stress. So it could be moving into a new place or you know, moving in with your your loved one or something like that where you're Oh man, getting, I'll tell you what, moving is one of the most stressful events any person yeah. will go through, right? Yeah, and any yeah. like you said, any change, even good change is yep. stressful. Yeah, so it's good to know that shit, you know, as we're walking this path. And I think the biggest thing here to note is that we don't have to go through this shit alone. Oh, it's a we you know? thing. Yeah, it's yeah. so much easier with help. No doubt. So much. No doubt. Number nine, isolation. <laughs> and that's right. That was a perfect segue. What, a, what an amazing segue. And, and yeah. what have we talked about on this podcast over and over and over again? The, the opposite of addiction is connection. Right. Right. Isol- so, isolation fuels addiction, but connection drives recovery. Bingo. Our disease thrives right. in isolation it thrives in this disconnected environment because because it is a pseudo connection 
Mm-hmm. It is a pseudo um, <laughs> connector. I always felt more. What do we? What did we always say as potheads? I feel so connected, man. I feel so. I feel so. <laughs> right, right. And then, and and, yeah. and when I was drunk, I think I, more when I was like shrooming out or something. Right, right. I'm so connected, <laughs> man. Right, but yeah. but the reality was. I use drugs and alcohol to manufacture connection. Mm -hmm. That's true. You know, we think, we think that it's getting us connected. And I mean, maybe it did, you know, I, I guess I can't. In the beginning it did. the The miracles, you know, and that's why it was so addictive, right? All the things that I did was, Fuck, here's my solution, right? But Yeah, alcohol the, gave me wings and slowly took away my sky. I saw that post. <laughs> it was beautiful. You and know, that's but what that does, right? All of a sudden, I feel true. like I'm the person I thought I should be. I feel mm-hmm. like I can be who I've always wanted to be. But the reality is, <laughs> the, 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 the raw truth of that is, it was a manufactured version at best. <laughs> And nobody ever tells you that that shit doesn't work forever. Right. And actually, it'll start doing the opposite. And that's the bottom line. In, yep. in the beginning, although it felt good, it was a manufactured version. And my authentic version of me blows that manufactured version of me out of the fucking water. Totally, bro. You're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love that's you. all of us, right? Yeah, Our I know. authentic selves, when we, when we finally embrace our authentic selves, it blows our manufactured, drug-induced, alcohol-induced selves out of the goddamn water. And, yeah. and, and in the end, you're right. It takes it all away anyway. It takes every single thing it gave us away and more, right? Yeah. See, I think when I first sought help, it was more of a, I wasn't getting the desired effect anymore. It was just getting too expensive and too whatever. But when I really was ready to change, it was another fucking thing entirely. It, it became terrifying. It became absolutely horrible uh, to be in my own skin. And the drugs were doing things to me that were the polar opposite of what I used to get out of them. You know, it was just making things all fucking crazy and weird and like not a real reality at all. Just a completely fucking twisted version of reality. And this is not a good thing. <laughs> but, you know, that by then you're like, what do I do? I can't do shit. But that's where you can. Well, I had to be. Right. That's when it has us by the balls. Right. I mean, I had I had to be that lost to be willing to listen to anybody. I mean, that was the only fucking thing that would work for me. So number 10 is pride and overconfidence. And we really talked about that in the previous episode. That's all about that complacency, right? I got this, right? And as soon as I think I got this, as soon as I think I can stop doing all the things that I did to get me well, you you said it so beautifully. This is a continuum. I need to continue Mm -hmm. to do the things that got me here. If I stop, I'm going to go backwards. It's like a treadmill, man. Right? right, you stop on that treadmill, you're in <laughs> trouble. Right? There's a lot of good YouTube videos of that. Just oh, bang. really? 
Oh yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah, right People wiping out on treadmills. Bam, it's, it's so man. analogous to a. It is so analogous to a relapse, right? It's exactly That's what real. happens in a relapse. You're on the treadmill. You're kicking ass and taking names. You stop on that <laughs> treadmill, and all. I mean, your 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 uh, ankles are up by your uh, by your eyes. Right. Well, shit. It it even happens to you on a. I should keep it to me, but on an emotional level, on a spiritual level, I mean, I, like I said, I haven't uh, used or drank yet and hopefully never will. But I mean, I think that is very much contingent on me being teachable. You know, that's that pride and that ego. I got to stay humble. I got to keep seeking more like knowledge, wisdom, um, keep being willing to try new things and different ways to be of service and, you know, just keeping myself open to new information, new ideas, new experiences, you know, always learning, always growing. If we can stay in that kind of a uh, mind frame, we're going to be good. Absolutely. Yeah. So the third phase of relapse is physical relapse. That's when you actually use, and then, you know, the wheels come off. Who knows when we come back? I always tell people, and I really believe this, I don't know if I have another recovery in me. I know I have another relapse in me. I absolutely know how to relapse. I stop going to meetings. I stop praying. I stop being of service. I stop doing all the things I need to do on a regular basis that keeps me um, on the proverbial beam, right? Um, you know, that, that right. maintaining my spiritual, I, I stop all that. Uh, what will happen then what will, will be nothing. And that's the worst thing that could happen because then for an undetermined amount of time, I'll be sober, okay, and not doing any of the other things. And then I'll think, oh, well, it, was, it wasn't the meetings anyway. It wasn't my higher power anyway. None of that was keeping me sober. I'm still sober and I'm not doing any of that. So clearly I did it all on my own. Yeah. And if Look I did it all did. on my own, then was I really powerless? Yeah, no, it's a total mind fuck, dude. Totally. Totally. And, and we do it and it's so easy to do it to ourselves. Oh my God. It's so it is so <laughs> scary. It is so scary. Okay. Yep. We got some comments from sober and serious. Yo. Awesome. What is that? I don't know. <laughs> Keyboard? <laughs> I'm now to hear what the sober and serious community says about this week's topic. Every week, we share select responses to the weekly show topic, which is posted every Wednesday as the topic of the day on Sober and Serious on Facebook. Your experience, strength, and hope continue to amaze and inspire. So keep up the great work, you guys. Keep it up. Yeah. All We're right. Super so we nice. got um, um, a lot of this here. Uh, we got a, a lot of great feedback on the. That's a typewriter. That is a that is a legitimate typewriter. We got a lot Old of school on this topic. What I asked on sober and serious was, what are the leading what uh, causes of relapse in your own experience and in your own experience? What are the number? What's the number one thing you can do to guard against relapse? So we got some really great feedback. Right? Uh, TL says, "Thinking I could do it my way, I surrendered and did it their way, and I'm eight plus years sober." 
Wow. That's pretty simple. Right? Yeah. I think I said that earlier, you know, just be willing to let someone else guide you. CC says self-pity, loss of hope. Something I learned in Al-Anon, the difference between grief and self-pity. I'm still working on that one. I like the Living Sober book and what it says about self-pity. Absolutely. And I recommend the Living Sober book to anybody. Run, don't walk to your nearest um, recovery literature source and find yourself a Living Sober book. Um, so that you can uh, uh, look at you. Living oh, dang. dang, we got the Living Sober book. So I'm going to read a couple more comments. Will you find what the Living Sober book says about, about self-pity? All right. PD right. says, and this is not P. Diddy. I just want to make sure that we're, you know, we're using initials to protect the innocent. And PD <laughs> says, Stifling my emotions led to relapse. In the meantime, I have made friends with my feelings. The consequential daily influx of joy keeps relapse at bay. I love yeah. that. Very yeah. poetic. For real. J-A-W says, or jaw, jaw, as I call them. Yeah. The fuckets. Or a time. Every time. Or a time. <laughs> Or time. Or time. He did not say or time. That's your line. You're right. I, <laughs> I removed the V there. I have no delusion that I can have one drink or one shot of dope. I just consciously go off the deep end every time I've relapsed. Right? But right. that's just a different way of saying I've surpassed my ability to cope with how I feel. I've mm. surpassed my ability to be able to manage my feelings. And I'm making a conscious decision to hit that eject button. Right. Yeah. A.H. says, halt. Pain and <laughs> fear are my problems. And I get like, and when I get like this, I use my phone list, go to meetings, and read my basic text. I call my sponsor. Way to go, right. A.H. You're using recovery tools. Right. PJD says, separation from God, the higher power. Whole point of the big book is to show you how to find your higher power, since I couldn't do it on my own. If someone has a genuine desire to stop drinking, we must nature that desire by culminating a relationship with the God of our understanding and relying on that God of our understanding to stay sober. Yeah. That's right. I mean, for me in the beginning, it was the people in the room. You know, I seen it working for them. I was lost. I, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. You know, just relying on them, letting them guide me, you know, leaning on them for support, being authentic, like you said earlier, and vulnerable and letting myself be seen for what was really going on in me. You know, once I think people too, too often fall in that trap once they got a little bit of clean time trying to make everything look like it's fucking gravy, dude. It's right. not. And it's never going to be. Right. This shit ain't, life ain't all butterflies and fucking rainbows and unicorn farts. <laughs> <laughs> Unicorns don't Just, fart. Oh, yeah, they do. And when they do, glitter, com glitter comes out. That's amazing. Fuck yeah. A says isolation. We'll leave, we'll leave it on this one. DA says, isolation. Left to my own devices, I will go back. 
For this reason, I do not do this journey on my own. Right. I love yeah, that. You can't. You need help. I yeah. love that. All right. What does living sober say about <laughs> self-pity? Well, my friend, just to like, there's, I'll, I'll start reading some, but it's like a, a paragraph and two pages. So I don't think you guys want to listen. We, we want, talking. we want the reader's digest. So hit me with some spiritual truth, a couple sentences on what living sober says about self-pity. And then we're going to take some calls. Okay. Um, let's see. I'm just going to read like the first couple paragraphs and then we'll get the idea. Cool. It's called, the section is called eliminating self-pity. This emotion is so ugly that no one in his or her right mind wants to admit feeling it. Even when sober, many of us remain clever at hiding from ourselves the fact that we are in a mess of self-pity. We do not like at all being told that it shows and we are quick to argue that we are experiencing some other emotion. And I know how that is, you know, right. Not that, not that loathsome poor meism, or we can in a second find a baker's dozen of perfectly legitimate reasons for feeling somewhat sorry for ourselves. And then I guess if you went to the end, it's like talking about weapons, ways to combat it, to eliminate it. It says humor. We can pull out of our self-absorption, stand back, and take a good, honest look at ourselves. Once we recognize self-pity for what it is, we can start to do something about it other than get drunk or high. Yeah. Self-pity Fri- really, Fri- Jason, is... It says friends. What? It says friends can be a great help mm-hmm. if they're close enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, another excellent weapon is humor. We can catch self-pity starting, and we can take the action against it with instant bookkeeping, so 10th step in it. Um, self-pity really Jason is a form of self-centeredness an extreme version yes so very if we are mired in self-pity we're actually being quite self-absorbed yes oh totally totally man and I never thought that in active addiction I never thought that because self-pity doesn't feel that way no it just feels like life sucks like right. I'm miserable. Poor right? me. But it, yeah, I just feel misery. Yeah. I feel miserable, right? I don't even recognize it as self-pity most of the time. I recognize yeah. it as feeling miserable and feeling right. like I'm getting a raw deal and feeling like nobody gives a shit. It's a victim. It, it's a victim mentality. Right. Exactly. But yeah. it's hard to recognize it even as self-pity. Right. And then, and then what is that? The whole thing stems from us not wanting to take responsibility. Right. So we got to blame right. some other person, place or thing. That's right. That's right. Always. Yeah. It's if never it was my fault. So-and-so. Yeah. Right. And there, therein is birthed our little fabricated victim mentality. And then it grows. We convince ourselves oh, the no strongest doubt. The strongest lies we ever told anybody are the fucking lies we told ourselves. And we often have to tell ourselves the lie first in order to be able to effectively tell anybody else. Dude, wow. That's so true, dude. We're going to take some calls. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
It's time once again to take some calls from the Way Out podcast listening audience. If you'd like to call the show, you can call 218-382-1900 and leave us a message on the current week's topic. Your calls make a real difference. So we here at the Way Out podcast extend a heartfelt thank you for your contribution. So let's bring on the calls. Hello. Well, this is my favorite one. Oh. Hello. Hello. Hola. Hola. Um, hello. Hola. I love it. All right, brother. Let's take some calls from the Way Out podcast listeners. We are going to start with Cindy, and we're going to. Uh, crank the volume up on Cindy so we can hear her real good. Here we go. Hi, I'm Cindy L. Um, I got sober about eight and a half years ago, um, but I started. I try. I started trying to get sober um, when I was 20, and it took me until I was 39. So I was a slow learner. Takes what it takes. Um, but Sound like me. Around about a year before I got sober, I got about six months under my belt, and then I went back out. Um, and I think that was because I really hadn't built that foundation in steps one, two, and three. Plus, I had decided that step 1A was to have a relapse so that I could truly get sober after that, which was ridiculous. And um, so when I came back in, I really worked a lot harder on steps one, two, and three. I also got a different sponsor, which wasn't that my first sponsor had done anything wrong. It just it wasn't working out. Um, so I just started back over from scratch and worked from there. Um, and that was over eight years ago. So I guess the moral to my story is, uh, even if you're a slow learner, you can still learn and you don't have to create a step one A. You can go right to step two. Thanks. Cindy, thank <laughs> you so much for the call. I love it. And you don't need to have a step one A. It's not required. But if you do, as long as you get to step two eventually, and then three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, and 12, Things are going to be high. Yeah. yeah. Right? You got to do them all in order. Yep. All right. We Absolutely. got Keith coming up. Mr. Sober and Serious. Mm. Hi, this is Keith Campbell. I wanted to talk a little bit about your topic, relapse and recovery. First of all, I just wanted to say that um, a lot of people like to say that relapse is part of recovery. I believe that is not true. I believe that is the exact opposite. I believe relapse is the opposite of recovery. Have I relapsed and has it been part of my journey? Yeah, that's true. But never since I've been actually recovering or being recovered, working a program. Um, I continue to do what I have to do and that's fine. Some people, when they relapse, they are usually missing something something they're not doing that they should be and they're doing some stuff that they shouldn't be doing, you know, um, they need to figure that out. What are you doing? What you sh- what were you doing that you shouldn't be doing? And what weren't you doing that you should have been doing? So absolutely. With the, if they figure that out, they will help themselves. And normally it has to do with, you know, cleaning the soul out, which in my case, I mm. use the 12 steps to do that and learn tools to continue to keep my soul clean. If you're not growing, you're dying. And if you're not, if you're dying, then you're one step closer to relapse. So basically, continue to grow. 
and you will be fine. Yeah. Have a great day. Thanks, Keith. Well stated, Keith. And this really reminds mm-hmm. me of, and he's talking about keep your soul clean, you know, clean your soul and then keep it clean. And he's referring to this 12 steps, right? As yeah. we do the 12 steps, we're really clearing that connection, clearing out all the garbage that yeah. was in the way of us being able to truly connect to the uh, the God of our understanding, the higher power that's supposed to speak to, our, to us, right? It's been mm-hmm. my experience that if you do the actions and you run the experiment, which is just to pray to a God that you may or may not even understand, and actually the less I understood and the less I tried to understand, the much better it all worked. Right. Absolutely. And I cleared it all away. And in the God of my understanding presented himself to me. And he presented himself to me through a variety of different ways, not the least of which was other people. But right. I had to get tuned to the God of my understanding. And really, it was, it's like tuning to the right channel. And I had to clear the way for that. And, you know, steps one, two, three, four, five, right? Six and seven, clear the way, right? And then eight, nine, 10, 11, and 12, right? Especially 10, 11, and 12, allow that path to stay clean and stay clear so I can continue to have a, a, um, clear channel to the God of my understanding. And man, it's a noisy world out there, right? Mm-hmm. The din yeah. of the outside world often drowns out the God of my understanding. And I have to actively, yeah. I have to actively tune back in to my higher power. Absolutely. I mean, it, you can't, access that power unless you're willing to put in some work and get uncomfortable and be vulnerable and be accountable to yourself and to others. It's the only way. And that's where, like you said, those first seven steps, clear that conduit out. You can obtain that consciousness, that that God consciousness, if you will. And then from there, that's what changes your heart. That's what makes it um, where when you go to make an amend, it's not the same old I'm sorry's and the same shallow fucking hollow, you know, apologies that you had before. Like now all of a sudden you do see, you do understand, you do accept responsibility for your part. And that's why um, when you do, if you work these steps the right way, um, when you do get to that point of making amends, at least in my experience, most of them have been so smooth like all beautiful, even albeit like the, the, those, those conversations were amazing and soul filling and healing for both of us. You know what I mean? And that's a direct result of really working the steps all the way through as the, um, as they're laid out in the order that yep. they're laid out, Cl- as, cleaning as, the soul as right. you know, that is the cleaning of the soul. And it, I like that he used that terminology. That's a good way to word it because I feel like it really um, makes it sound as deep as it should sound. Because this is deep, deep inner work that we're doing. 
It reminds me of page 164, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit, Mm -hmm. and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. That's like the whole program in one paragraph, right? It's amazing. I mean, it is. Absolutely. Yeah, it's 100% amazing. Uh, I'll leave the, uh, Keith's call on this note. Um, if you haven't listened to Joe and Charlie and the big book comes alive, um, uh, I urge you, if you do nothing else, do that. It will transform the way you think about the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the program that's contained within it. They do a superb job of outlining the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and differentiating between the fellowship and the program of action. Right. Right. But I think it's important too to, to let the people know that, you know, that was recorded to be intended as a study. So get your book out when you're going to listen to it because follow, it's follow a textbook. Yes. As Joe and Charlie will tell you, the big book of Alcoholics yeah. Anonymous is a textbook and we use textbooks as instruction mm-hmm. manuals. Absolutely. So follow along with your highlighter and, and uh, you know, take that shit to heart. What you hear uh, said while you're learning that, because that's, that's what this program's about, right? It's we have to take take this stuff in to our heart, and we need to put it into action in our lives. We need to apply these principles to our the way we live. That's right. In all of our affairs, that means at work, at school, with the family, with your homies, whatever. We got Peter coming up. Peter. Hi there. This is uh, Peter calling, and um, hello, I, Peter. I, about the relapse and recovery. My, my take on um, relapse has been a big part of my life, um, a big part of my journey. Uh, I, re, I, re, I don't even call it relapsing, I call it resuming. So resuming. I relapse, I resume drinking. I wasn't, I wasn't done yet. Um, <laughs> That's what I'm saying, man. Um, do I think relapse is part of recovery? Well, no, it's not. By definition, it's not. Uh, no more than eating meat is part of being vegetarian. Relapse isn't a part of recovery. What relapse is, is the absence of recovery. Um, it's what happens when we don't have recovery. Um, if we have recovery, um, we, we, we don't, we don't resume drinking. Um, that's what I have seen in everybody who has recovery and has had it for a long time. And, and me now for the last two, two years, 10 months. Um, I will say this though, that, that resuming or, or relapsing, there should be no shame about that whatsoever. But that's right. part of your journey. Um, we all arrive at recovery when we're ready and when we really, really want it. And um, there are lessons to be learned each time we go back out there. We bring something back to the table with us. We learn something. Yep. And yep. every day that we have in sobriety is, um, is a miracle. And it's a gift, and nobody can take it away from us. So we have 15, 20 days, and, and we lose it with a relapse. We don't lose that recovery. 
we still have that 20 to 30 days under our belt. So that builds yeah. up cumulatively, um, and, and it's important. So there should be no shame whatsoever. This is a, a disease that can kill us. We get back up, mm. we dust ourselves off, and we get back with whatever program we're working. We, we double our efforts. So that's my Dude, Peter, Peace. you got the most very astute. Like, I'm not even going to fucking you, – nope. you, you said it really just – so many things in there and it's so perfectly stated you know totally totally agree with you love the i love the 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 way peter ends it with this idea that it's really just in the end keep persevering keep doing what you're doing and uh good things will happen yes we got buddy coming up hey guys buddy c uh wanted to uh comment on your relapse and recovery I relapsed and continued to um, to come back for six years, and I really needed this program. But I just it took six years for me to figure out how to surrender. Uh, I had been real sick and health wise sick and spirit wise sick, but I could not uh, grasp grasp the surrender part of this. How to be powerless and how to let God do it. In other words. So it took six years of relapses to teach me how to do that. So what I decided from the beginning was just to keep coming back. I kept coming back to meetings. I kept meeting with my sponsor. I kept working on the steps. I kept doing all the things that I was doing, just doing more of it. Uh, my sponsor would ask me, he'd say, okay, what are you going to do different this time? So I knew that uh, for me that AA was the answer. And I knew other people were getting it so I could get it too. So I just had to keep keep coming back and keep them not really pay much attention to my drinking. Not to say it was okay that I was drinking, but the important thing was I kept coming back and it was like fruit growing on a tree, you know, or, uh, or you, you plant a tree and eventually it's, um, you know, it's big and strong enough to support you. Same kind of thing with my recovery. I just kept coming back and really almost ignored my drinking and just came back anyway. Yeah. Uh, and as time went on, I just stopped drinking. And one time came up when I would have drank before. I just said, nope, not going to do it this time. Never drank again. That took six years. I hope it doesn't take other folks that long. I've heard of people taking a lot longer than that. So, yeah. Uh, but great topic, guys. Looking forward to hearing uh, comments tonight. Thanks. Yeah, I love what Buddy said. Thank you so much, Buddy, for calling in. Can't thank you enough for your continued support, brother. Absolutely. The idea that. In the beginning of his call, he said, I really couldn't let God do it, right? And then he said, but I made a decision to keep coming back, right? So him making a decision to keep coming back ultimately allowed him to make a different decision in step three. Yeah. Which really opened the door to something you know, quite wonderful. Yeah. That's like, uh, I know another guy who from our area or my area, I should say, um, six years, he was coming in to meetings drunk. Most of the time living on the streets, homeless. This guy was skid, you know, skid row type guy. Um, and he's really kind of slow upstairs. Right. Um, 
everybody was sad, you know, people would get really sad for him and, and pray for him and kind of nobody had hope for him. And you know what, man, that guy today has, I think he just got seven years sobriety and he's still, he's still kind of, you know, a little slow, but, but I'll tell you what, he, he is like laser beam focused on this. He's created this routine and he calls his sponsor every day. He, he prays every day. He reads the book every day. I gotta tell you, my intellect has been no ally in me getting no. Stronger, okay, I know. Dude, out. this guy, this guy, that's his like whole, you know, boom, 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 boom. He's got this routine down, and that's he's a great guy, and so much fun to like just see come in because you know if you watched him when he was he was homeless on the streets, and then you know you were one of them people that probably thought, man, this guy's not gonna get it, and then. I mean, that's the miracles, right, that we talk about in this program. And it is. It's, there's a lot of power and truth to that um, statement. Keep coming back. So thank you, buddy. Thank you. Hey, guys. This is Jared. Um, hey, Jared. Yeah, I just wanted to, uh, you know, share Jared. Um, you know, really, this time what made me stronger is that, you know, I did overdose and almost died this last time. It's been about um, – I guess I haven't looked at my calendar, but I think it's about 70 days, approximately, um, since I've last used. That's but, a lot of days, brother. Yeah, I mean, it was life or death, you know. I mean, I woke up in the hospital for a second time, you know, in two years, and it was really scary, you know. Um, everyone was really mad at me and <clears throat> lost my job over it because I had to be put on dialysis. My kidneys were shut down. Um, didn't work out with the training schedule, so had to forfeit that position and, you know, it's just, been, it's just been a headache, you know, I got kicked out of my parents' house and, um, uh, kind of where I was a couple years ago. So, I mean, I just really don't want to let that happen again. So, you know, for encouragement for others, I mean, not always, I know it's not always that easy to get back to sobriety, but I mean, I guess, you know, it's how bad do you want to, how bad you want it, but I guess that's all I got right now. Thanks, guys. Bye. Jared, thank you, brother. I know that you're 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 going through it right now. Mm-hmm. You can feel that and you can hear it. And it reminds me very, very vivid reminder of what it was like when I first came in. And I just uh uh encourage you to keep working your program of recovery actively and keep working through the steps and work them to the best of your given ability and give them everything that you have. And yep. you will be amazed by the result and don't even question it. Don't right. ask why just do the next thing you're supposed to do in your recovery and it will get better. It just will. That's somebody, the next thing that, your sponsor or a trusted person in the program tells you to do, I should say, <laughs> because like, right. I think it's really like we just t- talked about leaning on our own understanding and our intellect and we outsmart our fucking selves and we, and we, you know, we can quickly disqualify ourselves or alienate ourselves. And, um, 
I see that battle happen sometimes with with him as well as I mean it happens with all of us and um, it's just a matter of you know our own self awareness and our, and how how sharp our tools are or how many tools we have and he's at you know beginning stages he lives with me he's doing well he's you know joined a bible study with me and i'm i love being able to be there for somebody who needs that support um really it's been a blessing to me and i just i you know like you said though charlie it's going to come down to is he willing to be led yep. and, and, do, the and work. do that work you know he's work. got his own car He's got his own car. I don't know. You know, it's nobody can keep tabs on anybody. You know, it's it's up to us. We are responsible Look, man, we for our own recovery. Message, but we cannot carry the alcoholic. That's right. And so I, I, I too, like you said, Charlie, I, I keep, I keep lifting him in prayer, Jared. I, I lift you in prayer. You know that. And we all, we all care, and we all love you, and we want to be there for anybody. So. By all means, you know, just don't don't do it alone, man. Don't do it alone, and don't get stuck up in that rabbit or what do you call that thing? Hamster wheel. The ha- oh yeah, that too. But I was thinking like a hamster wheel. Yeah. Like stay out of the hamster wheel. Yeah. Get yep. out of there. Yeah. I call it the itty bitty shitty committee. We got one more call. Last but certainly not least, Boston Mike. Okay. Hey guys, Boston Mike giving you a call about your topic. Um, uh, I think it's a matter of semantics, you know, the way it's said, you know, if it was said more like, um, is relapse part of the recovery process or, you know, um, I don't have a clear position on it, but, um, you know, as far as, um, relapse in recovery from alcohol or drugs, but, um, what I'm interested in knowing is, you know, we want people to consider um, addiction and alcoholism as a drug, and the American Medical Association does consider it a disease. Um, if a person is suffering from cancer, and um, and they, you know, and they go into remission, and then after some time they relapse and uh, cancer grows again, wouldn't that be? Wouldn't their cancer be? You know, wouldn't that relapse be part of their recovery? So we want people to consider <laughs> what we have a disease. If so, then why is our relapse, why would our relapse be different than a person who is suffering from cancer? Um, they're both diseases, and relapse is, is uh, uncontrollable for the person suffering from cancer. Um, this is mostly just to, to hopefully um, provoke and incite some dialogue. This is not any position of mine. I'm pretty open-minded about this stuff. But yeah. how can you can, uh, why is it you can relapse in cancer, and uh, but relapse in recovery from drugs or alcohol is somehow considered different. I hope that's clear. If it's not, <laughs> then just just banter. All right, guys. Uh, it was great uh, hanging with you guys last week, and I hope to do it again soon. All right, brothers. Bye. Hey, thanks, Mike. You are thanks. amazing, and it was super good to have you in studio. We will have you again for show. There's no doubt <laughs> that there is a stigma attached to the disease of alcoholism and addiction. It's a stigma that uh, really uh, uh, I leave, uh, I fight in one important way. And I fight it by recovering out loud. 
right? Put it out there. And Put yourself out there. That's right. I make no bones about me being in active in active recovery. I Hell make no. no bones about being a recovering alcoholic and addict. And folks know everybody, really anybody that knows me for any length of time knows. And I just try to be the best example I can be of a person in recovery, in long-term recovery, as I can be, which I think in and of itself goes a long way into smashing the shit out of the Mm. stigma that surrounds addiction and alcoholism. It does, man. You know, and as far as your your little made-up hypotheses question that you asked, Mike, I mean, I think you kind of said it both ways in there, probably not even intentionally, you know, that you likened it to being part of the recovery of the cancer, but then you switched to saying that it was part of the disease. And I think that's how I look at it. It is part of the disease, in my opinion, and that recovery is my medicine for the cancer or the disease. So it is what it is. I mean, it, I don't think that I think it's an absence of recovery. If I relapse, you know, there, cause that happened long before I got high or drunk. Um, I need to keep taking my medicine. If I run out of my medicine and the pharmacy won't give it to me, then I'm going to have a bad day or a week, you know, <laughs> it's just so everybody is, out so. there in way out podcast land, keep, taking your medicine that's a yes. wrap on this show brother good job we will be in studio here very shortly to be talking character defects dun 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 yes. call the show call the show that. everybody to call the show 1960 until then be good peace out take care god bless thank you for being a part of the way out we appreciate your ears We're sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics every week. So keep listening up. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, all one word, dot com. There you can subscribe to the Way Out podcast on all of the major podcast aggregators, such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, Overcast, and more. Or simply drop your hosts a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact us at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time. And remember, if you don't change, your sobriety date will.